0: Hello and welcome to The Jackass, the Swansea City podcast. I'm Gita Llewellyn and with me tonight we have, as always, Steve Carroll and Matt Barocku. Evening boys.
1: Evening. Evening.
0: Um, to put it mildly, uh, we've got a lot to catch up on because the last time we recorded um, was just after our historic double was completed over Cardiff City. Um, so... Massive apologies to everybody that we've been away for so long. Um, it's been a bit of a strange period. To put it to put it into some kind of context, the last time we recorded, well, since then, Swansea have actually won two games. And that fe- it feels like a very, very long time since we last won a game. Um, so long ago, actually, that we're not actually we don't actually have time to look at the uh the Derby and the um, um, middle wall wins. Um, we're just going to skip past those and the, the Barnsley draw and go straight into Reading. Um, Matt, we'll start with you because, you know, we could have skipped this one too, but I don't think we really could. How on earth do you go from being four, one up
1: to drawing four all against Reading? It's, it, it was a absolute balmy second half really, wasn't it? I think we, once we scored the fourth, you thought that's it. Any any sniff of a of a of a reading comeback? I know at the time they were uh, still fighting to ensure survival and um, and and try and cement their place in the division. Um, but you just thought, you know, when you when you get a few goals up against a team that are struggling right at the bottom, heads will go down, morale will be hit by that, and we we look cruising. We are having the time of our lives out there, and it's just absolutely army that it, it went the way it did in the end and you know i i think that would have been one of the standout results of the of the what we're going to talk about if it weren't for the game that came up two games later game we just thought it can't happen again can it but no it was um i think that was just just stupid because you, you shouldn't be throwing away three goal leads but against the team that are struggling at the bottom i mean it, you know, there's a lot of questions uh, questions to be asked. I think, to be fair, um, Russell Martin did ask them after that about, you know, about a bit of character, about a bit of, um, you know, lacking a bit of personality there, perhaps, in defence to make sure that we see a game out and not be uh, stupid with it, which, unfortunately, we've said too often this season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In fairness, Steve, like Matt said there, up until say the you know Reading got their second goal um it was a very it was a brilliant performance from us you know some of our attacking play absolutely sensational some of the goals we scored brilliant um, penalties as well forget that <laughs> forget yeah, a yeah. we, we, we actually scored a penalty I mean it was a historic afternoon it was all set up to be brilliant and then I mean first time I think we've um, we've squandered a three goal lead since Wolves back in 2012 I mean, it's just not the kind of thing that happens very often, but it does kind of sum up our soft underbelly this season, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating. But I think there's been a regular complaint throughout the season in some ways that we, we seem to have to work quite hard to score our goals. And I mean, you look at it, it was a lovely move, wasn't it, for the first one where Wolfers has stuck it in the top corner and then Perot has scored a great one from outside the box. The penalty, as we mentioned, and, and the fourth one was a, a great move mm-hmm. as well. It was finished off by Auburn but... But then you look at the goals that we conceded. Now, in all fairness, the penalty that they got, soft, to say the least. I I didn't think it was one, but it got given, didn't it? But, I mean, the other three, once we're four and up, I mean, they're just scrappy and it's crap, isn't it? And that's what annoys me. It's like we've gifted it. It's not like the opposition have really put us under a severe amount of pressure. We've just sort of folded over some basic stuff like balls into the box. And I think that's what's really frustrating from my point of view is that we 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 did sort just completely blow it. I mean, it was you know it it was ridiculous really. It was against a crap side. I mean, got to look at it now. We conceded seven goals against Red in this season. and we only got a point off them. I mean, I know in the end with the way that we ended the season, I mean, you know, we we were a a fair way off the playoffs. But I mean, those five points would have made a big difference. And you'd argue that we probably should have beaten them twice. So you know, it's I think it's frustrating. It's definitely something we've we've got to work on, isn't it? And we'll we'll discuss what we're going to do transfer-wise at at some point. But, um, you know, defensively, we've been weak on certain occasions and we let ourselves down there really because there's no way in hell that we shouldn't have won that game yeah
0: the good thing is that that kind of collapse you know is the kind of thing that only happens once in a decade so um you know, we got we got that out the way at the DSKI, and uh, yeah don't have to worry about it for a while do we uh, <laughs> we'll get on to bournemouth in a bit uh before that a quick mention for middlesbrough um matt this was a game of two halves um really boring first half where nothing yeah. much happened Absolutely kicked off in the second half and was, in my opinion, one of the most entertaining 45 minutes of football that we've
1: had this season. It was insane. It was definitely up there, wasn't it? Because I remember thinking at the time it was a case of anything you can do. I know they they, they scored, we scored, they hit the woodwork, we hit the woodwork. You just thought we didn't see it happening at half time, did we? As you say, it was a non-event that first half. And then we turned around about 15 minutes into the second half and said, what has happened at halftime here? Yeah, because all of a sudden, this is just game has opened right up. It's end to end. It's frantic. Um, yeah, it was, you know, we, I think we should have lost it at the end. I think they missed that one on one late, late on, didn't they? Um, which really would have just, just nicked it for them. Um, but, you know, I'd take a point after the the way the game went. But yeah, it was an entertaining second half that one. I thought, um as you say, very much a game of two halves. Yeah, absolutely. And um
0: Steve, um the goal for the Swans came very, very quickly after Mi- um Middlesbrough taken the lead, good counter-attack, but it was yet another goal for Michael Obafemi, who might as well discuss it now, has um had a, a, a fantastic second half to the season and if he can continue his goal-scoring prowess into um, next season, and I don't see any reason why he can't, I mean that we're going to have a serious weapon on our hands, aren't we?
2: Yeah, it's been really encouraging, isn't it? Really, the in the second half of the season, we found that that blend of me up front with Perot dropping a little bit deeper and Obafemi playing as the the main front man. Um, it's just worked really well. I think he's scored about eleven goals has he, since about the start of February. I mean. There can't be many others who've uh, got anywhere near that total apart from maybe a certain Mis- Mitrovic at Fulham but you know it's, it's been really encouraging with uh, with Obafemi because it it didn't look great for a long time did it and there were you know one or two rumors about what was going on behind the scenes and you know he quite often he wasn't even making the bench and you're thinking well, what's going on here but you know now you would have to say he's one of the the first names on the team sheet and you know What's going to happen with Perot, I mean, we don't really know, do we? But the fact is, we may have potentially two twenty-goal uh, strikers at the club next season if we do. I mean, you're going to have a big advantage on you. So, you know, it's it's encouraging. And like I say, if, we're, if we were to lose Perot, then we at least have the encouragement that we've uh, in in Fermi, We've got someone that we think might be able to score a lot of goals for us. So, yeah, there's that's certainly been a big plus point I would say from February onwards has been, you know, um, Fermi's impact.
0: Definitely. Um, Matt, I joked um, about two minutes ago that, uh, well, the kind of collapse we saw at Reading is something that only happens once in a decade. Bizarrely, it happened twice in pretty much the space of a week and a half. Um, I mean, words fail me, really. Uh, Bournemouth, second on the table, chasing automatic promotion at the time. Obviously, they've gone on to do it now one of the toughest teams to score against in the division, and we went 3-0 up uh, again with some lovely goals. I mean, let's just talk about what happened before the collapse first, because, I mean, you know, this was another fantastic match to watch, and some of our attacking play, again, just brilliant and and extremely clinical as well, it has to be said.
1: Yeah, I I mean, it's that man again, isn't it? The man, you know, it looks at this moment that we're actively trying to court him to potential suit us in the in the summer um purely because that's where we know a bulk of our transfer fund is going to come from but he is such a fantastic goal scorer uh joe perot that you just can't you cannot defend it how can you the guy will drop off he's so intelligent he'll drop off into pockets of space he sniffs out the gaps he he knows when to drop in between the lines and now and I think that's what Steve was talking about. Aubameyang's impact. I think that's helped um, the whole team dynamic. Is Perros dropping has allowed us to have that out and out of, uh, front man in Aubameyang who can sit on the shoulder of the last man and make those darting runs, and that then drags the defence back, and it creates that pocket of space in between the defence and midfield, which Perros just lives in. I mean, he absolutely loves it in there. And um his second goal in particular, and he's just he's picked it up and he's turned and he just smashed it from 20-25 yards, and the keepers watched it go past him and you just this the guy doesn't know how to miss the target from outside the box. It's a phenomenal trait. Um I find it hard to believe he hasn't managed to replicate this previously in you know, in, in, in the former clubs, but he's just come here this season and he's it's fair, probably fair to say he's carried the team. You know, the way he stuck the ball um in the back of the net when quite often, and people have been analysing this season get on his uh, his XG is ridiculously low. For his XG for time. the entire season is like 0.2 point two. It's obscene. <laughs> it's obscene. He, he he should be he should be a Dutch. Do you know what? <laughs> Do you know what? Our a uh, Dutch ex-director should have had a point. <laughs> but he, obviously, you know Van Sweden in the end, he's looks like he's massively got egg in his face for his comments when we signed him. Um, but if you just looked at XG, you would just think he's obviously not going to make it. But he's he's phenomenal talent, and I think uh, you know you can ask where he can go, where he will end up. I'm not 100% sure, but um, but he, you know you know if we end up with him next season and we, and we we have to make do with that, then it's the worst worst situations to be in as Steve mentioned, but. Um, his two goals, you know, set the way. And after the start of the second half, where you thought um, Bournemouth are going to push back into it and come back into it, there was that fantastic counter goal there where uh, Cyrus Christie ended up sticking it in the top. I remember turning to Steve uh, when he got the ball and I thought, oh, he's taking it too wide. And he, I thought he had. And he'd stuck it top corner then um, from an acute angle. And you're just thinking, oh, we're in dreamland, yeah? You know, you're not going to concede... Uh, three goals after we had taken the three goal lead, and then I remembered what we'd done a week earlier. So, <laughs> never touch the swans.
0: Yeah, and uh, we know what happened next. Um, Steve, I, I will say, I think uh, there's no way of proving this, and obviously Bournemouth had created a fair, fair number of chances before they would um, uh, got back into the game. But if Ben Cabango stays on the pitch uh, and doesn't yeah. get injured, I'm not convinced Bournemouth can get can get back into that game. Um I thought we really did see what how how absolutely vital he is um in this team. He is basically the only center back that we've been playing with. Um for the last few uh, for the last few weeks and when he went off, I mean we just they Bournemouth went direct at the same time. key for more um billing as well who who can you know who's a big big guy as well as being a very good footballer but they could just lob those balls into the box and they just pelted our six yard area and put us under pressure which without cabango we just we just couldn't deal with could we
2: yeah i mean you do wonder from my point of view if ryan berth had come on that probably would have made the difference because i know obviously Martin has deemed him surplus to requirements, but I think that's more to do with his style of play rather than the fact that he's obviously is a, a man with ability. And I remember when he came on against Blackburn, for example, a lot of balls came into the box when we were down to 10 men and he was heading a lot of them out for fun. So I think if he'd come on, that would have made the difference. But I mean, if I'm honest, I wasn't I wasn't as annoyed after this one as it was with Reading because, I mean, as Matt has already said, that third goal was very much on the break. And if we're honest, Bournemouth were all over us and... Yeah. They've got a lot of good players, should we say, obviously, considering you know, they've got a, a far bigger budget than most teams. And obviously, they they had something massively to play for. So I think if we were 3-0 up on a lot of teams, probably would have won it quite comfortably. But the fact that it was them and the circumstances meant that, obviously, they, they knew they needed to get back into it. And But we've seen it with Wales, Kiefer Moore is a real handful. You know, if you do stick balls into the box, he, he does cause issues. And, you know, they, they had a lot of chances. It was frustrating, don't get me wrong. We You know, you'd like to think we could have done better, but to an extent, I mean, it's difficult, is not it? I mean, look at the first goal. It's a decent ball in from a corner. I mean, Moore's above everybody else. We haven't got the height, have we? So that's a problem. I mean, the penalty is frustrating from Manning, really. But then, I mean, the third goal, to be fair to Fisher, I thought he made a really good save, but then it was the follow-up, wasn't it? So, okay, it was frustrating, but I, I do sort of understand what it went on, but you know we've got to eradicate it either way. Next season, it's not going to be good enough. Is it? We've got to make sure we strengthen the defense because we can't be, uh, you know, that susceptible to uh, to balls in the box. Do you
1: know what I will say? Um, and I completely agree with both of you about you know accepting that the aerial difference was going to create a massive uh, problem for us in that second half, which inevitably it did. But our defensive naivety again, I mentioned it, you know, for the red in analysis, but. This is something we, right, okay, we were fully aware that we were going to go into that last 35 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it was, with, with no, no one above six foot tall or whatever at the back um, against, you know, billing alone is 6-6, six, six, I think. So, you know, you know, you're going to have a big issue. But you've got to stop those crosses coming in. So you talk about the corner. Kiefer Moore has a free run on our defence. As soon as he jumps, he's going to score. As soon as he jumps, he's gonna score. So you don't let him start running. You can't let him start running when that cross comes in. You have to block his runs. So we didn't do that. The last goal where Keefman wind up sticking the back of net, we don't stop the cross. We don't get to him. And then you mentioned the penalty, the Manning situation. I mean, he's he's had a really poor second half of the season to be Roy Manning. Um, after being a player that was almost too good in two positions in the first half. We wanted him as a left centre back, then we wanted him on the left wing back, and we couldn't work out where best to utilize him because he was he was better than the options we had elsewhere in that. In the second half of the season, little bit of a liability, if I'm honest with you. Um, but that defensive naivety and not being streetwise is is really quite frustrating because um it's not a new theme, Gitto, <laughs> I mean, we've sat on this podcast this season and talked about being so naive defensively. We talked a little bit earlier on about having to work so hard to score. And if I've said this once, I've probably said this 10 times in the podcast alone, we play a lot of high-risk low-reward football. And it's great when it comes off, but if it doesn't, we inevitably concede. But when it follows a... 2025 20, passing move that ends up in the back of the net. You think, wow, this is this is complete football. And then we give the ball away ten yards out, which the opposition just poke into the back of the net. It's a little bit frustrating, you know. We can sometimes help our attacking players by not making them do double the work um and concede in so many sloppy goals. And I think all of Bournemouth's goals ultimately were avoidable. Um yeah. I, I accept, I do accept Kabang was a massive miss and, and as Steve mentioned having the option of Bennett or even bringing Finley Burns on would have given us something um, rather than bringing on Corey Smith. But yeah. um, that said defensively I think we could have done a bit better on all yeah, I'd agree with that. Um,
0: and I mean, talk about the defensive record because actually this was our final point of the season Um, and it came at the end of a nine game um unbeaten run where we would played some phenomenal attacking football, scored a ton of goals. Um, and, and you know, there, there's really been nothing wrong. There was nothing wrong with our attacking play in that in that period. But at the back, you know, we've thrown away some points. Um And just looking back over the entire season, more than a quarter of our games have seen us concede three or more goals. That's a lot. That you know, if if you are conceding three or more goals in a quarter of your games, like you said, Matt, that puts so much pressure on um, on on your attackers. Then, and and you're just not going to be able to win games when you concede three goals. It it just can't happen, really. Um
2: So course, I mean, I know. we've had quite a lot of clean sheets in about fifteen or something. It's it's when we concede, isn't it? Yeah. We collapse Yeah, that's we, Yeah, that, that's the thing. It's like there's a there's not many, as many games there where it's like an in-between of like only conceding one or something. We we tend to concede, as you say, about yeah. three. But considering that, it's just, we've had a lot of days where we've had clean sheets, and it is a bit
0: baffling, isn't it? And, and when we've played against the top team, so if you just look at the games we've played against Fulham, we've um, conceded eight goals against them this season, albeit one of those games, OK, we were down to ten men. Um... But then you've, you've got Bournemouth, who we conceded uh, seven against, and then you've got Forest, who we conceded nine against. So, you know, you add, you add all of those up and that's a, a huge amount of goals conceded to yeah. the top three. Like I,
2: said, I mentioned like- Reading earlier, didn't I? Conceded seven against them yeah, and that's worry because obviously at least the other three are good sides. They
0: are yeah, crap. but what what we've seen in those games and and in so many others is when we've conceded one, we've quickly gone on to concede two, three, and it's it's just the games run away from us very, very quickly because we've not had that discipline to just keep things tight after falling behind and keeping ourselves in the game. Um, sometimes we are just well, a lot of the time we are just too loose and we do invite too much pressure on ourselves needlessly. Um with, with poor game management. Um and our game management when we're trailing is appalling. If I'm being honest, it's, it's absolutely rotten. Um, so th- I mean
1: that, that no, wasn't as much. It's not great I, when we're winning. I mean no, it's, I sometimes it's think when we're winning games, I'm thinking this should be we, well, we've we've obviously talked about Bournemouth here and, and, and Reading just before it, but these some games you just gotta you just gotta kill the game, you've just gotta go down you know and, you know the gamesmanship thing you know you've got to you know be injured for five minutes you've got to slow the pace down you've got to let the ball roll up for a throw in
2: To what real Madrid did against Man City yeah.
1: basically do you know what like slow it down because we're playing and we go tunnel up and you're like great you know and then you play frantic football the opposition at that point when they're tunnel down they want to play frantic football then they want to keep it as open and wild as you can we shouldn't be playing that game we've got to control it you spot on get it it's game management it really is. And it, it's just knowing the times in the games where you've just got to go, do you know what? They've had a couple of chances here now. So for the next five, ten minutes, we're just going to kill the game. We're just going to slow it down, go down on whatever. And it's gamesmanship. And I think following from uh, Cooper's tenure here, where we were very, very lucky, but also we had a very good gamesmanship, I thought. We won a hell of a lot of points in the Cooper where we should never have won. Sometimes people believe the fact that we we were we, <laughs> we nicknamed ourselves. I mean Shit House FC at points at times because we had no we had no right or or, or reason to go and win the game where we had won. But it was because we knew how to do it. We knew how to get in the opposition's faces. We knew how to slow the game and speed the game up. Whatever. Um, and I think when we've come away from that to go to a more fluid uh, style of football. You've also brought that back in that little bit of naivety which costs you points over a season
0: yeah absolutely i think that's something all swansea fans will be in agreement uh, on uh, let's just finish off uh, this section by looking at the final two games of the season which were disappointing uh, I think it's fair to say um, first of all boys you, you two went up to Nottingham for the away
1: game against oh, Forest I, I didn't
2: go, just oh, that, you didn't uh, go. I'm not going <laughs> to save the credit for
1: that and I'm very relieved that I didn't he go He absolutely wanted to get on the record there that he wasn't there <laughs> he didn't want to be tarnished <laughs> with that one <laughs> well um, I mean you know, plenty of Swans fans
0: did go up there and um, I, think, I think we went up there more in hope than expectation anyway but uh, that hope um, well, went, uh, went out the window at uh, at some point. Didn't it? And it was another one of these games where as soon as Forrest did get a grip of things uh, in the second half, it could have been absolutely anything. And it ended up being 5-1, which was embarrassing enough as it is. But um, it could have been even more painful. It, it was that bad, really. And uh, curse of the former player, Sam Savage coming back to uh, punish us. It it had all the uh, makings of um, of a bad day out, really, uh, Matt. So,
1: what was it like in that away end to witness that that kind of scoreline? To be honest, you two are probably better off analysing this than myself because the second half goal fest happened uh, at the other end of the stadium. In fact, um, all but uh, all but one of the goals happened at the other end of the stadium to me. Um, but uh, it, was, it was it was a weird one, really, because. The the opening goal was celebrated more by the Swans fans than the Forest fans because the, the, the circumstances behind Christie being an absolute idiot and trying to handle the ball on the line um, and getting a red card and conceding a penalty and thankfully the ref was advised that it had already crossed the line so happy days the Swans fans celebrated that we were playing the rest of the game with 11 men. Um, we were probably going to concede the penalty anyway so it wouldn't have made a difference we would have definitely taken a hammer in otherwise but um, uh, it didn't seem to matter my dad texted me at half time and said uh, how's things um, by the way Sam Surridge is an absolute joke of a striker he's useless <laughs> so naturally Do we can blame yeah, his dad
0: for the second half can we? Also, we can blame your dad
1: for the second half. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean to be fair, he probably should have had a hat trick in the first half, but yeah, definitely blame him. I think he's uh he's jinxed us a little bit there. I did uh, drop him I think I, we left then at that point because we were just well we were four one down. It was we were taking a bit of a pace then and um and, and and we didn't really fancy staying around for some Steve Cooper fist pumps, to be honest. Dude. <laughs> um yeah, it was uh it, Away, day? away days are always good um, the game is probably the worst part of an away day but that said I don't think we covered ourselves in a great deal of glory but once again we score a really good goal and we we, we, and we, we score a good goal and we concede so stupid goals that undo it all and I think the goal you can talk about it because you, you would have watched it probably more clearly than, my, than myself but the, the the build up to the goal the pass and the finish I thought they were great. I thought oh, Fermi once again. You get him in those positions now, and you 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 know you bet a fair bit of money on him sticking it away, and he did.
0: Yeah, it's you know when we go forward, we're we're absolutely stunning to watch um for the most part in the second half of the season. When, but at the back, it it is a a recurring theme, isn't it? How how awful we've been. It's just it is laughable. And while you know there's There's no shame in losing to Steve Cooper's forest this season. So many teams have done it. they're They're a very good team. You'd you know really back them to do well in the playoffs. but my god, we've we've made life easy for them too. And um when you consider how his teams played um when he when he was manager of Swansea, um the thought of conceding nine goals to a Steve Cooper team would have would have just been unthinkable back then, wouldn't it? So um, yeah, that both games we've played against Forrest this season have not reflected particularly well on us, I would say. Um, Steve, um just to finish off, I guess. What what are what are your thoughts at the mo uh, by now on kind of Steve Cooper? Because it's it's kind of split the fan base. Should we be kind of really begrudging of everything he does and should we want Forrest to mess it up in the playoffs, um just to spite him, etc.? Or you know, do we say, well, fair play to him, it's obviously a better fit to Forrest and good luck to him.
2: Well, I, There was a couple of comments from him I didn't think you would like after the game, it was almost a bit like patronising saying, oh, we knew Swansea would have loads of the ball, and I'm thinking to myself, like, well, when we appointed you, that was what, you know, we wanted, That was you were appointed on that basis, I would have thought, so it's almost like indicating it as like some sort of insult, and I'm thinking, you know, does he really need to go down this, this type of route? I mean, look, I I said before, I think Steve Cooper Cooper was a little bit lucky with us. Like there were a lot of games that we nicked where we didn't deserve, but obviously his record at Nottingham Forest is outrageous, really. I mean, if he had been in there from the start, it'd be tough to argue that they wouldn't be in the top two. But I mean, Cooper did revert to tight then against Bournemouth, where they sat deep, tried to frustrate and nick a goal and it, it didn't work at all. So, you know, that that side of him is very much still in there somewhere. But um you know, look, um, I I don't miss Steve Cooper. It's it's as simple as that, and that's not bitter. And that's just, you know, I didn't enjoy it much. And I know, as you said really, they they definitely deserve to win this game. They were far better than us. But the game at the Liberty, they were lucky to win four-one. Uh, oh, well, Ben Hamer, He in the net. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, he was to blame for three of the four goals, <laughs> and Perot on a typically rare day where he gets an open goal, they ended up bloody missing it nil nil. Yeah. So, which is t- a typical instance of Steve Cooper, where you know these lucky things seem to happen on the day where his team are playing against a, a team who were usually good. So, you know, um, it is what it is, isn't it? But you know, I, I'm not convinced Forrest will win the playoffs. I think uh, Sheffield United is a that's a difficult game for them. So.
1: Yeah. A little bit of sweet irony, of course, was that Kiefer Moore, who got the late equaliser against us just a few days earlier, um, should have been sent off for an elbow on Flynn Downs. Yeah. Um, which you all berate EFL? Why have they not reviewed this? Why have they not gone back and issued a retrospective three-match ban? Well, you know what? He stopped Forest getting automatic. So maybe, maybe that's the yin and yang of the world sorting itself out. That's- and if there's one good thing to come out of that match it's the
0: fact that we won't have to face Bournemouth next season which um is a hell of a blessing because I absolutely hate playing against them I'm fed up of losing to them or Yeah, yeah that's a fair point it.
2: if you're going to surrender a 3 goal lead but well, it <laughs> would be to them wouldn't
0: it Yeah yeah, exactly. It's uh, our record against them is so appalling. I absolutely hate playing against Bournemouth, and I'm glad they've been promoted just so that we don't have to face them again next season. Absolutely hate it every time we play them. Um, last game of the season, ugh, I don't really want to discuss this much because it was a flat end to the season. Um, oh, God, this was this was a difficult watch. Um, Matt, I don't know. Should should we be? in so any way yeah.
1: analyzing it no
0: but, <laughs> but I think
2: the second half was a little bit better than the first the first was so bad wasn't it did, did you think the second half was better than the first i i don't know if it was well, I think we're starting from a very low base mind i mean in terms of entertainment there were like there was a couple of like extra chances i felt in the second but it really was just one of those horrible end of season games where you felt like both teams were on the beach wouldn't it
0: in fairness, I thought QPR were pr- were pretty decent and better than I ex- I expected them to be. They at least tried to play with a bit of energy, tried to pass the ball around sharply. I mean, we were. I've n- I, I mean the tempo was so low. It, the game was played at two miles an hour. Mm. I mean,
1: the ref was lapping our players, wasn't
0: he? Oh, it, it was ju- it was just ridiculous. I mean, the, the I think. I think Fisher probably had about 20% of the possession, just the ball sitting by his feet not, and him not doing anything with it. It was just, everything we did was so slow, so tedious. It was, I mean, I know it was the final game of the season and there was nothing to play for, and I didn't really expect us to go hell for leather or anything like that. But still, I, it was just, it was like the most laid-back kickabout in in the park on a Saturday afternoon. It, there was just... Absolutely no intensity to Swansea's play whatsoever. I just, I just couldn't get over how, how, how it looked like we'd taken a bunch of sleeping pills just before taking to
1: the pitch. That's what it looked like. It was so low energy. So I can't even, I can't even remember anything to talk about. I know Perro got subbed, and I think he scuffed a few efforts where you thought he could have done a bit better. Talking earlier about him being, you know, I. Russell Martin blamed the transfer speculation, but I think Russell Martin's peddling most of that transfer speculation at the moment. But, um, yeah, I can remember their goal, um, but apart from that, I'm really struggling to remember much about the game at all. It was, an, like you say, it was a non-entity. It was I think sometimes when you got two mid-table teams like that at the end of the season, you too sometimes end up on the final day with a with a four three or something like that, yes. one of those crazy games. But it was the opposite end of end of season fixture where neither team were interested. Both teams were thinking about f- flying off on their holidays this week, and um, and yeah, and I think that translated to the stands, and the, it was very little in terms of atmosphere. It, everything about the day, wasn't it? it? Was a bit flat, and it just felt like. And what we you for really? No one really felt like it was much intensity as you say. Yeah, even the uh, kind of uh,
0: the, the the end of season lap of honour, which which is never well attended, it always looks ridiculous these days. Um, I mean, <laughs> there was just nobody left in the stadium to to clap the players. It, lo- it looked ridiculous. I genuinely think it's time for us to just finish that tradition. It's. it's it's painful every time it happens.
2: Bring back the vet style pitching version of my Bring Bring back that and then they can just come out in the director's box, it lasts for five minutes, and then it's done, isn't it? Genuinely, that is so much
0: better. I know like the Ospreys still had a game to play, so they probably wouldn't have uh, enjoyed it, but let's say that
2: the Vets used to be great.
0: Oh, it, it, it would be give you it would give you something to look forward to at the end of the season. Even if you know the season was over and there was nothing to play for, you knew. Okay, final whistle goes, we're all on the pitch. Great stuff. Hell of a laugh. Everybody's happy. You know,
2: it's um, yeah, this business you
1: know, of you know as you know well. Gitto, It's the it's the wait in between the full time whistle and oh. the
2: yeah. Apparently that it wasn't like that Saturday. I can't oh, call it. Though, not but I apparently it. they didn't actually go off because it. Yeah, sometimes they'll go off and they'll have a mothers' meeting, take ages, and you're just like. So just get on with it. Yeah, And, anyway, remember...
1: and then they bring in all their families on the pitch and stuff. And I get it; I, I get the thing behind it. But this could all be organised before the game, so it can all be like within twenty minutes of the full time whistle going. Everyone's done it, and like I say, I, you know, I can't, I can't comment on the on on this week's one. But in terms of generally speaking, you'd you'd have to stay for another forty five minutes after the game to watch the lap of honour, and you know, it's a lot of before everyone starts walking on the pitch sort of players having selfies with their girlfriends and the halfway line and stuff like that and it's it's a bit you know it, it, I, I can't I, I just really felt like especially after the game it was against qpi i think a lot of people just felt like you know what i'm i'm gonna get, go back and carry on with my day really you know yeah. I think there's a lot of people who would have maybe stayed, but
0: have felt that they put themselves through enough watching 90 minutes of, <laughs> yes. of whatever that I, was. I
2: wouldn't <laughs> disagree
0: with that. It was just, I was bizarre. I, honestly, I think there were some players there who had more of a sweat walking around the pitch at the end than they did in the actual game itself. It was just, I, I don't. Steve, should we be like miffed at all that they put in such a terrible effort, or? Do you just say, Do you know what, it's the final day of the season, who cares?
2: I think I'm more in the latter category, to be honest. I'm not going to waste the energy getting Lloyd over it. It wasn't great. And I mean, I think if I paid on the day to go to it, I wouldn't be very happy. But, yeah. I mean, surely the walk-up was incredibly low on Saturday anyway. I mean, you know. It's the last day. There's nothing. No, I think it.
1: you'll find the official attendance was eighteen and a half thousand. and a half thousand. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, there's definitely
2: uh, no more than 14,000 yeah. there.
0: Like. Just, oh, no, there was a good crowd. There yeah. was a
2: good crowd there. It's just it's a lot of holes. <laughs> yeah, I think it was just one of them. We are thinking, let's just get this out of the way and, you know, let's go to the pub or something like yes. that and, you know, focus on next. I think the truth is, right, since the Cardiff game, it has felt like there's not really much left. I was going to say that. You know, uh, everyone probably has felt the same because uh, no, the season has been more or less over for months. Really, it's just that the Cardiff game has loomed large over a, a long period because of the the chance of the double and obviously a, a derby game. It doesn't matter if there's anything on it; it's always about wanting to win anyway, isn't it? But um, you know, I there, think there
0: were, were a few ga- there were a few games where uh, you yeah, know, where after after beating. Um, uh, Millwall and Derby, mm-hmm. you thought okay, mathematically there is still a chance
1: of making the playoffs. But well, that, if, if
2: every game was must win, you mean?
1: You, well, you, it pretty. silly, <laughs> silly points we dropped, wasn't yeah. it? The Red in the Barnsley, the games there where you're just thinking, those that should have been, you know, that's an extra four points we've left on the table there, which yeah. would have put us, I think. Within a point of the playoffs. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's the thing. Like,
2: even if we won those happens. games. Yeah, I think that the problem was we knew that the margin for error was going to, was going to be quite small, and you're always thinking, then right, well, you know, you could do it, but you always just think that you'll cock it up somewhere. Like I thought we'd actually beat Barnsley, yeah. beat Reading, and then it would have been on the table, and everyone would have started talking about it, and then I thought we'd have blown yeah. it, but obviously we didn't quite get that far. But I, I never felt for one minute we were going to get in the top six.
0: Yeah, I, th- I thought it would be very Swansea to kind of raise everybody's expectation levels and then dash them.
2: But we didn't even bother raising the expectations yeah, levels. It happened with really... the Porta, didn't it? I think yeah. we had a couple of wins at the end. And I remember then, that I think a couple of the others drop points. And we had three games left. And I think it was a case of, well, if we do win all three, there would be an outside chance. But then I think we were 2-0 up on Hull, I think. Yeah. We come back to 2-2 and a couple of other results went against us and it went, oh, well, that's it then. But again, I think it was always one of them that was felt You know, the chances were slim, weren't they? But, you know, with that, when we did at least get into the point where, you know, we were three games off it, whereas with this, I don't think we were ever that close, really, were we?
1: Just checking, though, we finished a full 14 points and 18 goals worse off than sixth place.
2: It's mad to think it dropped
1: off that much, but the last. But it's a. But but think of it like
2: this, isn't it? But when we dropped two points against Barnsley and Raiders, yeah. that's four. Then we drew a bills So that's six down. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would that put us on to uh, Bournemouth? Eight down, and then the last two, fourteen. So you yeah. think of it like that. Yeah, they really that's were all must win, weren't they? To get in there. <laughs> yeah, and they, yeah. That, so that would have meant nine wins in a row, which we've done once in our entire history. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we um, were we, never getting in there, were we? No,
0: absolutely not. Absolutely not. But still, you know, a little bit of a flat end to the season, and it meant that you know. After 44 games, we were on the back of a a nine-match winless streak. And by the 46th game, that had changed into a six-game winless streak. Um, So, um, yeah, that that was – yeah, so, yeah, from a nine-match unbeaten streak to a six-match winless streak.
1: it's I love that. I love that point you make because – you can really make statistics yep. fit whatever agenda you want, can't you? When, yep. we were, when we were championing the fact that we went on nine-match unbeaten run, it was like, mm, there's a hell of a lot of draws in here. I think
2: the main <laughs> thing with it was there was that we had drawn about four in a row. Yeah. I think that yeah. was it. Whereas it wouldn't have been so bad if, if it was a bit more of a mix and match. That's right. And obviously the fact then that we were leading by three goals in two of them. Yeah. So then obviously you have drop points, in it? So you are right, Lewis. It's, but he, it's but, a
1: funny one, isn't as it? As you say, even after dropping those 73 goals, we, we were on this he's still champion of this uh, uh unbeaten run after throwing away two three goal leads yeah. in a week um but yeah you know statistics and they you can make them look whatever way you want and uh and i think that was quite neat the way you, you summed it up there we've gone from one what looks like one fantastic run to within the blink of an eye one really worrying one <laughs> but <laughs> well, there we go i think yeah. absolutely yeah Yeah, I I think
0: uh, the summer, well, let's face it, we've been waiting for the summer to arrive for quite a few weeks now. And uh, after uh, an up and down season, the Swans finished with 61 points on the board uh, and that left us in 15th place in the championship, which... um, We'll we'll discuss yeah, it properly. I, saying, I
2: do remember where you predicted.
0: Yeah, I'd say that was about round about the spot, was. I, I wouldn't be surprised if I actually predicted fifteenth
2: because I think I, I, predict, I think I said sixteenth, so obviously very close.
0: Yeah. I think I predict fifteenth every single season. So uh, like when we <laughs> were in the Prem when we were in the championship, yeah. This would be the season he didn't. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, it
0: it but it's it's quite a safe thing to predict, isn't it? Because like, you know, it's it's not in a relegation battle. It's not in a in a playoff place, and you're not going to look stupid at the end of the season, whichever way it goes. It's quite a safe
2: on the fence um, position. Has never been safer this season because obviously Mm -hmm. various points deductions and stuff. There hasn't been a hint of us going down, has there at all,
0: really? Let's face it, we would have had to be absolutely rotten to go down this season if if ever there was a season. Has
2: been pretty horrific. And even they have stayed up fairly comfortably in the end,
1: very comfortably in the end, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah. This the, the bottom end of the table, sadly, has been ruined by point deductions. Um, the the one stat I did love is that um, uh, I think it was, I can I think it was the not the top twenty podcast that pointed out, um, Reading would have been closer to the relegation zone at the end of the season had there not been any. Had there been no, what was it? Yeah, uh, no again, one <laughs> had points deduction, was it? yeah, that yeah, basically, the points deductions meant they actually finished higher, uh, further away from the relegations. Oh than they, yes, than um, if no one had had one, yeah, than if nobody had had one, with so, you. Yeah, because Derby's
2: was was so drastic. Um, well, was well, Reading would have gone down, wouldn't they? Because Darby, like, obviously, had twenty one off, but they only finished seven behind them. Would they have with... actually gone down? Wouldn't Birmingham have gone down? No, they finished below Birmingham by six <laughs> points. Yeah, and the goal goal difference for Reading is worse than Birmingham. So, Reading would have gone down instead of Birmingham on goal difference. There you
1: go. And you know what? I've read a couple of days ago that um, Peterborough are holding out on Reading getting another points deduction for for the regularity. So, I don't know if this regular season is quite over yet, but we'll... We'll have to see what happens well, there. If, if, yeah, if, and obviously Northampton are not happy with Scunthorpe. Oh, we? yes. Oh, can, we, can we do an odd bit? <laughs> can so we talk about another league? Can we, ex- <laughs> can we, can we just extend those
0: sympathies to Northampton town at oh, this difficult goodness. moment? Oh, we
1: absolutely cannot. <laughs> I, I'm going to extend them in the most ironic way possible. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's very rich of them to start complaining. Jesus Christ.
0: Do you know what? I absolutely love football fans because that was back in 1997, that match. Um, Never the, not make me bitter about that. The, the player final back in 1997, you know, there's, there's a quarter of a century has gone by, and still the glee that Swansea City fans felt when Northampton somehow didn't go up on the final day of the season, despite winning 3-1. Um, I mean, it's it sums up what's beautiful about football. The nothing spite. like a football grudge, is it? It's ah, oh, people just do not forget. People absolutely do not forget. I, I, you know, I, I, I. That was just slightly before my time supporting the Swans. I didn't start supporting us until John Hollins, um came along. Um, so I, I have no memory of of that playoff final. Obviously, I know what happened, but I don't have that kind of same emotional baggage. Um, whereas, you know, if if Barnsley, for example, were in the same situation. I would take the same kind of glee because my most painful memory as a Swansea fan was the was the 2005 playoff final um, when when they knocked us out on penalties. Mm. Um, and even though we've not lost to Barnsley since then, that match still causes me an immense amount of pain. So I do
2: know we um, haven't lost to Barnsley in 90 minutes since the 80s? Yeah, but obviously are then they obviously that one they've got over us, something. Is the biggest match that we've
1: played against them. So um, you know someone who got off scot-free on the Northampton story. Go on. Was Freddie Woodman? Yeah.
2: You know of his course. dad. His dad was the goalkeeper.
1: Wasn't he? <laughs> his dad was the goal for <laughs> Northampton that day. Yeah. yeah and he yeah, never well, really got to take much stick I for that. I think it did get
2: mentioned once or twice to
1: this. Let me see. If John Frain's son came down to play, you
2: would have a problem with it. <laughs> but he, he wouldn't be coming to the I, can, I can tell you, I know. But uh, yeah, um, I think. For, probably for me and Matt it's more of a raw thing because I, I hadn't been going very long at that point and obviously it was only about nine years old it's a big day out at Wembley and obviously lost in the last minute and then from my point of view the bus broke down after it
0: so that uh,
2: adds to the misery doesn't it, it's, it's just complete I swear back in the day
0: every single Swans bus used to break down on the way to or back from a match yeah. <laughs> I think on
2: this occasion the dickhead had left the bloody lights on so a flat battery so they oh. no breakdown was an absolute mong isn't it? Oh, boy. So, um, then obviously, we had all the Northampton fans coming out celebrating. And just like, oh, my God. oh, you just want the ground to swallow you up, don't you? Oh,
0: there's nothing worse than losing the playoff final. unless, unless you... Wembley's only a place for winners, isn't it? They say
2: that, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because, you know, it's it's probably been worse, isn't it? Like, you always think there's the Man City one always sounds insane, doesn't it? Where oh. they played Gillingham, didn't they? A couple of them left because they were two down, and they've scored two at the end. And you're just thinking, if you're a Gillingham fan, I don't know, you get over that. Yeah. I bet they, I bet Gillingham like if Man City on oh, the to, same sort of thing yeah. I bet I mean, they're, they're watching this now right because obviously <laughs> we're watching Villa <laughs> Liverpool well, there. there's a lot of Liverpool yeah, fans yeah, in Gillingham they, right now yeah Gillingham we are all praying <laughs> for Liverpool to win it's probably a lifelong grudge isn't it G- the pubs
0: in Gillingham were absolutely landed when uh, Real Madrid uh, did the comeback right, the other yeah, day. yeah <laughs> there
2: probably was a, a few grins there wasn't there you, like, well, you could post
1: back. that online and no one would get
2: the link. <laughs> that is just such
1: an obscure kind of like grudge, you know. Yeah. I, I bet
0: you as well. The way the way some like um, you know some football fans are so like one-eyed about these things. I bet you out there there are some Jellingham fans who think, oh, if only we'd won that playoffs, so it'd been us that would have got the yeah. oil money, yeah. and, the, and yeah, it would no. be us in yeah. the
2: Champions League. With, with the butterfly effect. Yeah. The funny thing is, though, you know, we're saying this like I've always been convinced that Huddersfield have got something against us for the autographs. Because every time I've been there, I've found them to be not the nicest of people. And
1: um, what's his name? Peter Jackson hated the Trundle shoulder Yeah, Peter Jackson the hated us. And it. they were just horrible bastards. Yeah, yeah.
2: so I, I'm not convinced that it, yeah, we may be the other way then. It's, yeah, the Huddersfield. Uh, but the then you won't,
1: tell, you won't tell me here, sitting here right now, you won't tell me you don't hate Huddersfield as well.
2: No, I think it's because <laughs> they, they hate us basically. True. It's, it's forced me uh, into my hand. But look at some like Redden. I mean, I don't think they seem to have a grudge with us, today. I don't you know. Don't know. They, they I just,
0: think they they, they were did. really sick of playing us. I think because we because they never beat us. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's, that's probably like, a different <laughs> thing
2: in there as opposed to
0: you know obviously the playoff final in there. Reading aren't really proper football fans, are they? They're very yeah. posh,
2: it's very a, very, very tweedy.
0: They they just they, 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 they probably um, like a
2: good cheese board like Fulham do, don't they?
0: Yeah, but but Fulham have a bit of charm about them and a bit of you know it's it's genuine. With, with Reading, it's. There's just nothing to the club. I, I I hate it as an away day as well. Like the Modiski Stadium, is was just off the M4. There's yeah. nothing anywhere near it. It's it's a wasteland. Is is and uh, well, it's a the the stadium itself is a vacuum. There's no atmosphere there. Um, yeah, I've never liked Reading. I'm sorry. It's, I mean nothing like. It's, it's not that I kind of hate them, and they I. I there's something really. Detestable about them or anything like that. There's just nothing to them. They are a, a club without the personality. They're just a bunch of, they're, they're just a very, a very middle class club that you can't really feel anything towards, really. There's just nothing to them.
1: Um, yeah. I don't think I, their fans do either today. I know before yeah. our time, there was the the famous, like, the, yeah. the, the fights and the hooligans. that, was a game, like that. That. game
2: in 93. There's yeah. loads of YouTube clips of it, isn't It still yeah. looks
1: wild. But since that's died out and the Medeski move and stuff like that, from 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 Elm Park. So when you move, look where they c- come at now, I can't even see any element of their fans being that passionate about them. I don't think they are. I know there have been movements with them to try and create an atmosphere and some sort of passion mm. in that
2: stadium, but I think the whole family has just given up on that club. I like say it's mm. just a very middle class Tory. You know, <laughs> I don't even know what, what else to say. I mean, I I, I don't think there's the passionate hatred as you say, Guthrie. But I think there's just from my point of view, it's just I'd hate to be them. That's yeah. the best way of describing I, it. I,
0: I have I have a particular contempt towards that kind of club which that just has nothing about it at, at all. I like we, we can have a discussion about what is the kind of the most vanilla football club out there. The kind yeah, of club, club that out, there's just yeah. nothing about it. another key
2: element for me of a vanilla club would be if you don't have an arch rival.
0: Yeah. In yeah. fairness, I think Gillingham are a bit like that, aren't they? Um they don't have any gillingham have, have
2: got an issue with Swindon for some reason, haven't they?
0: That's a weird one. Bournemouth, though, that's another vanilla club. Oh, no, no, they, they've sprung
2: to mind, did, Because, obviously, they think they've got one with Southampton, but we know that for Southampton, it's obviously Portsmouth. Well,
0: they're, they're miles apart. They're not actually... I mean, like they're, they're on the south coast, but they're quite far apart. I mean, until, I don't know, Salisbury get, in, get promoted to the same level, Bournemouth aren't going to have a derby. And it's just, oh, again, it's... Sm- it's it's a tiny stadium without much atmosphere it's not even in in Bournemouth itself it's in Boscombe i think so yeah, it's right. there's nothing much around it there's no real personality to the place um you know i i think it's very I love con-
1: all this i love all this podcast has gone off oh, this- there's another conversation to be had as well actually about the um parachute payments with Bournemouth and Fulham going back up yeah. straight away and how Boring. You had
2: a stat about Fulham and Norwich. Yeah, Fulham and Norwich. I've played each other since twenty seventeen, and both, And each, each season since, they've either gone up or down. I in one league apart. I, I mean, it's,
0: I mean, it's awful for football, but it's a brilliant stat. You
1: um, know, it, it's yeah. something that. Okay, your clubs will go to the wall if you get rid of parachute payments. There needs to be a more refined way of looking at it, but. The way it's working at the moment, go. Premier League fans don't want to see the same teams get promoted every year. Championship clubs have all the hopes zapped out to them because you're looking at the teams coming down now. And go. Well, they're going to improve. They're going to spend a bit of money in the summer. They That's your top three or four. You know. Yeah, it,
2: it sickens me because yeah, you have to give credit to someone like Brentford, and obviously we don't like them very much. Sure. I think mean, we but we certainly don't like the manager, as we say. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, but they're obviously they managed to buck the trend through you know good planning over a. A period of the time and a good strategy, really. But um, you know, I mean, we're slagging loads of things off here, but we haven't even got to MK Dons yet. So <laughs> do you know
0: do you know we need to we need to get a follow-up pod just to like have a vent those spleens about all the things in football that we that really grind our gears. Um, we'll we'll have to arrange that. We can ask people to
1: contribute to that as well. Yeah, well random things, things in football
2: <laughs> that There's definitely a poll coming up yeah, on this. So this is a chance to really go on about must win, then isn't it? <laughs>
0: oh do right well now that you've said must win we're moving on we're moving on we're leaving it behind um <laughs> killed it well done <laughs> yeah cheers cheers steve that was a good conversation until he brought that up um, we, we had um okay uh we're, we're moving on now to the most boring aspect of football and that is the transfer window uh absolutely hate them mind them in tedium uh repeated nonsense rumors um but let's start off with um we're not gonna go in too deep with the kind of players that we can expect to to lose this summer and the kind of players we need. But we're just gonna have a quick um quick word about a couple of players that are leaving um or extremely likely anyway to leave this summer. Um we'll start off with uh confirmed departures in Corey Smith and um uh Hamer. Um I mean two Players who, who've had a bit of first-team action this season, Matt. But um, you know, they've, they've. I think as, as the season wore on, their influence has um, has waned, and as their contracts came to an end, is it any surprise? Do you think that that both of these players are moving on?
1: Do you know, what, if I'm honest, only in the last couple of weeks ago or so would I have said that it doesn't look like. Smith is getting one. At one point, I thought he must have had compromising photos of Russell Martin on his laptop or something, because he was getting picked, left, and any, anyone who got injured, Corey Smith, come on, he was even sort against Bournemouth, you know, Ben Cabango goes off, he's probably looked at his bench and gone, right, my six foot two centre half has gone off against the biggest team in the division, Corey, get on there, my friend. You know, like, literally, I would have thought, this guy is going to get a new deal here, but and it's not to be, and to be honest to I think it's it's the right decision. Um he's he's not the the makeup of the sort of player we need going forward. If we're going to make this work and be a success, you know, he's he's very limited in what he can do. And I think in his in his first season here, you know, he's obviously had um, a bit more of an uh, running influence and stuff like that. And he had a good defensive midfield displays. But it's this in this spelled uh towards the end of the season you could just see more and more where his weaknesses lied and how he couldn't really offer anything in any sort of attacking capacity um and there are just better players than him there ben hamer uh him i'm not surprised with we've kind of been the worst secret ever that we've been in for another goalkeeper this summer so it was obvious that he was gonna have to make way uh, it does look ominous as well for stephen bender Or i think is Probably reached the end of his line year, which personally I think that's a shame. But then I know there's a lot of conflicting views on him as well, um, because <laughs> there's Andy Fisher, who in himself, Gito, is is <laughs> quite a divisive figure. He, yeah, you love him or hate him, he's a, bit of a marmite figure, and. Um, like so many goalkeepers you see it in the Premier League and, you know, like you can think of the like, sort of like the Claudio Bravo, Bravos at Man City when he was there. And you just think, right, this guy can play football, but can he save a shot? <laughs> can he claim a cross? Um, he's made a couple of good saves in the last couple of games to credit him. But uh, yeah, I'm undecided on our current number one. And I wouldn't <laughs> be against us going into the market for someone who is genuinely going to compete for that jersey and just... I thought, you're gonna say, I thought you were going to say that for somebody who's genuinely a good goalkeeper. <laughs> Gee, not, tell me that. I'm not going to hide that. Yeah, definitely. I would. Um, uh, but he, look, I don't know with him if it's something that's going to come good or he needs, a, yeah. he needs a better goalkeeping coach or whatnot. Sorry, Dean Thornton. Um, but what's going on there? But like, he doesn't come for crosses. He doesn't command his area. He doesn't look like the defence necessarily have a sort of confidence in him to allow him to to, to marshal the area behind him, which is a big problem when your game is all built on coming out from the back and having all the ball building out from the back line. So um and and listen, I'm not gonna go into my rant on goal kicks and the short goal kick fiasco tonight, but that's another uh-huh. thing. Um we can save that for that pod I th- on things that are not. So I think that's the I,
0: th- I think that's the one thing that all Swansea fans do agree on though is that I, I just don't get it. I don't get why we keep doing
2: that. every, every single there's, goal kick. There's so little to gain and so much to lose. It's,
1: it's, it's like everything we do is the high risk, the reward. There's there's no reason what is, but the thing is as well, it's not as if it's come straight off the training ground where you can say, oh, see, you've pushed me into this rant now, Gitto, for God's sake. <laughs> it's pushed me into the position where you get the ball then with Fisher, 35 yards out, but none of the other players have moved. So he's still putting the ball into the midfield area, which he could have done from the goal kick. It doesn't matter. No will gained anything. It it's it just seems that we're just asking for trouble. But anyway, move away. Move me away from that. Um, no, in the end, I didn't expect either to be given new contracts. Corey Swift was probably the more likely of the two. Um, but yeah, um, you know, we wish them well. They've obviously got uh, a year or two left in the game, both of them at this point. So they they'll hopefully find new clubs, but uh um, I think the time is right for both. And uh, Steve, a couple of loanees as
0: well um, have uh, obviously come to the end of their short term deals. So uh, Hannes Wolf, uh, Cyrus Christie, and Freddie Burns uh, all returning to their parent clubs. How would you kind of measure their contributions during the second half of the season?
2: But Burns, I'll go with first because this was the, the most minimal, I suppose. Never really had much of a chance, did he? So, you know, um, you know, he's not going to be back, is he? So he probably won't be missed. But at the same time, we didn't really see enough of him to form a clear opinion. Um, I think Christie's done well in patches. Um, he's been caught out at other times. I mean, I don't know if we're going to see him again. The impression I'm getting is that we won't, if I'm honest. Um, and I think that's our decision as opposed to his. So you know, I, I think signing him would be a reasonable one. I'm not sure I'd want him to be maybe first choice, if I'm honest. I'm not sure he's, if he gets up and down enough, but, look, it wouldn't be a bad sign, and I don't think either if he came in. Um, I think Wolf would be a loss. I mean, he's done really well as, uh, as that wing-back, obviously, in a position that we, we've really needed, haven't we? And, um, you know, it's a bit of a shame in some ways, though, that we, we didn't have uh, someone that could play there, and he could have played further forward, which I think is his general position. But, I mean, I, I think it, w- it would be a good thing if he came back, definitely. But, you know, he's got a year left in his contract. I mean, I, I can't see Munching and Gladbach back, Uh, been willing to loan him out unless it's a last resort, really. So so I I just thought they'd want to sell him and recoup some money rather than loan him out and let him go for free. So, you know, we'll see. But I mean, in terms of the other guys you mentioned, I mean, I think Smith and Haymer, I think they've they've done okay for us, haven't they? But I don't think they're really long term answers. So I'm not too sorry to see them go. But, you know, I I wish them both well. I think they're good professionals. And, uh, you know, I think they both will probably end up in the same division as us. and they'll get reasonable moves out of it, but they're just not right um, for our style of play, I don't think. So, you know, it uh, it makes sense then to to move them on and, and look to bring uh, others in.
0: Yeah, uh, Matt, what's your opinion on the the three lonies there? Um, do Do you think there's any chance we'll see uh,
1: any of them next season? I guess it depends what happens with Perot. I think any funding, we're going to do this summer, and, and, and wages as well as transfer fees, is going to depend on bringing in a lot of money. Um, one thing we're not going to go into detail on in this pod, where I don't think we are anyway, is the accounts, you know, um them being come out and saying that, you know, we are, we have, we have made losses, which I suppose is to be expected. Um, but that goes to show that, you know, this is why we have to live with this kind of selling an asset every summer at the moment until we find that, that steady ground where we can be self-sustaining which is the model which we've been talking about for for, for years and, and obviously we've had to get back to it since relegation and we've taken a massive sting over the last what is it now, it's four years now isn't it we've been down yeah, this is the season. yeah so I mean it, considering it's taken us four years to get to a site, but we're not actually um really up a death door if you like with football. But at the same st- at the same point, we're um we're still gonna have to sell Piro, I think, if we're gonna fund these sorts of moves in the summer. So Wolf I think is the one if we were gonna bring someone back, who I'd like to see I really would. I think he's you know and his agent has spoken so highly as well of his time down here, how he's you know, the the atmosphere and uh, he's loved being around in, in front of the Swans fans. Now they're taken to him and He's enjoyed his football, um, so everything sounds great. But you have to come down to the, the basic in football, which is the finances, which is going to dictate. And at the moment, it sounds like we aren't playing the same game as other clubs. We can't play those games with the money. And uh, um, yeah, so we we're gonna have to we're gonna have to shop in in in, in a smaller market. But yeah, Finley Burns, you know that seems like a, a another wasted loan. Um, you know nothing much happened there with him he didn't get many opportunities and you know never really necessarily took them with both hands when he did um and uh and so is christie i mean again he's another one that you, you perhaps say you know i'd like to bring him in because we need someone there but is it you know could we could we get someone better someone younger someone fitter maybe Maybe I'm not ruling that out, and and maybe someone cheaper as well, which is good. what well, it's all going to matter, about, really, um. But yeah, of the three, I'd say Wolf, then Christie, then Burns is is my preference, but Wolf would be the top. Yeah, I I struggle to see I I I take in terms of
0: likelihood the players coming back. Possibly Freddie Burns is in the kind of. Mark Gehry type of scenario where he's maybe, you know, taking a bit of time to settle in and they want to give him another year, but I can't really see that happening because he's had so little football and hasn't been on the bench even recently. Um, And then, you know, the other two I think they've done very well for us in the second half of the season. I've really liked both of them, but Wolf was bought for a lot of money by Gladbach. I cannot see them, you know, either selling him on the cheap or Sending him back on loan, but surely sending him to us on loan was a way of trying to get him back up to the standard they require. They've had a difficult season, so, you know, he may be uh, a bit more used for them next season. And then Christie, I I would, have, I would have liked to have thought that Christie could have come here that, you know, his contract comes to an end at Fulham and he'd want to stay somewhere where he's um, had quite a bit of joy but um you know the indications are that that's not going to be the case which which is a bit of a shame but I you know there are other players out there that we can go after um other than him but I think both He and Wolf have done well for us and um hopefully they've enjoyed their time here um we won't go into too much about who we need to bring in or or who what the kind of players that we should be looking at etc But there is one player whose name has come up since the final game of the season, which we just have to discuss because it's a player that we have discussed for years upon years upon years. We've said for so long that we'd like to see him come back. And after the QPR game, uh, a story broke online that uh, the Swans are interested, confirmed interest in the one and only Joe Allen, Um, the Pembrokeshire Pillow. Um, Steve what were your initial reactions when you heard about this
2: Um, I think it's a good thing Um, now it's not the biggest priority this summer Um, you know he is on free transfer he suits our style of play the wages should be reasonable if that all is the case then it's a no brainer for me, get him in I mean, it's, uh, it would be a really good signing, I think. We've, we do need to sign a central midfield player now that Smith has gone. And him on a free? Well, yes, as far as I'm concerned, definitely uh, a, a move that we should uh, make. Like I said, we, we have got other priorities defensively, especially, I would say, and depending on, on who goes in certain replacements. But we do need to bring in a central midfield player. And uh, Joe Allen's available. I'm sure he wants to come. So on a free, if the wages are reasonable, I I don't see what the the issue is there. Um absolute no-brainer.
0: Matt, he's he's been on quite sizable wages at Stoke. Um would he come here to to well, first of all, do you think he would be a starter if he was if we did by Joe Allen, assuming that we keep hold of Flint Downs and Matt Grimes? Because and i posted a tweet over the weekend and i was pretty shocked at some of the reaction people had to me stating that i i well i felt it was a no-brainer that downs and grimes were were better than than
1: joe allen by now yeah i tend to agree with that i think if joe allen comes here he comes here as a squad player um there will be gaps to fill as steve said in midfield um I'm probably not quite as enthusiastic as Steve on the on the on the potential of signing him. I think the numbers have to be right. I, I don't think we can make him a marquee signing. We can't go and bring him and 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 put him at the top end of our wage budget. And I don't mean blow our wage budget. I just wouldn't have him in amongst the top three owners at the club. Full stop. At this point, because A, we're working on a very limited budget, and it's an area of the pitch which shouldn't be addressed first anyway. Uh, and B, you know, there's there's little you know, there's no resale value with him, there's no, um, he's going to finish his, if he wants to come here and finish his career and do the boyhood thing of coming back to his club and and seeing out his days here, fantastic, I'm all for it as long as we can make it work um, and it would need to be on very modest wages, certainly a, 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 fraction, a fraction, a fraction of what he's earning at Stoke um, yeah, I, I would think if those two situations don't cause an issue and he's he's made his millions and he's happy, Just he just wants, really wants to finish his season here, then, um, then yeah, I've absolutely got nothing against it because, you know, as, as someone who's going to come in when a player's picked up a knock or a suspension or coming off the bench and stuff like that, I think fantastic and um, he'd be a great option. Um, I'm just concerned about a, a little bit from some of the Swans fans on the, on the clamour for it would have meant to me... That they would have been happy for us to push the boat out for him. And I'm not quite there on that one, if I'm honest with you.
0: Yeah, my, my initial reaction was kind of rose-tinted excitement because I love Joe Allen. I've always loved Joe and I loved him when he played for us. I've always loved him when he plays for Wales. Love the way he plays, loves the spirit with which he plays. Um he just, yeah, one of one of my favourite footballers. Um absolutely love him. Having said that. I I asked myself the question, why are we going after Joe Allen? Are we going after him to be a starter? In which case, does that mean that we're losing one of Mac Grimes or more likely possibly Flynn Downs? If that's the case, then that's not good news because I I think they're you know two very, very good players and in Flynn Downs especially, there's a player there whose value is going to only rise and rise and rise if he stays here and who could become a really fantastic player in the years to come. Um and I'm also wondering about kind of the cash involved because we know what the finance is like. Um you know the the, the, the um, accounts were published the other day. We'll discuss those in more length. I think when we when we look at the um season review, we'll look at the players that we we may want to bring in over the summer. But, You know, budgets are tight and and the margins are tight and that's the same for for the vast majority of clubs in the Championship. We're no different to that, but we're a club that only has a finite amount of money to work with. We're going to have to sell players before we can buy, etc. So there isn't an unlimited pot there and you have to prioritise signings. And I'm just wondering, are we prioritising Joe Allen ahead of other positions and possibly possibly enough that we're not and that he's p- taking a big wage cut and that it fits in quite easily with um, with the structure um, in which case you know I, again I have no problem and if Joe Allen is coming here to be a um, squad, prob- uh, squad player behind Downs and Grimes then again, that that's a phenomenal signing because you won't get much better backup players in those up, um, positions, and he would fit this system to a T, an absolutely perfect fit for this system, really. Um, but when I said that you know, Allen was not as good as what we already have in midfield, there were some fans who just didn't get what I was trying to say there, um, and and basically those people haven't watched enough of Joe Allen in recent years um, yeah. he's not the same player that we had before he's not the same player that was playing for Wales in 2016, he's 32 year old Joe Allen who's recently had a very serious injury um, I think even when you've seen him play for Wales he's not got that same dynamism and that same ability to to, to kind of do the work of two men and control midfield um, the way he used to, he's still a good player, no doubt about it and I, if we get him he'd still be um, a really positive contributor to this side but he's not one of the best midfielders in the championship anymore um, so I think expectations would need to be kind of positioned rightly if we were to buy him. Um, I, think, I think it has the potential to be a very good signing um, but I'm just worried that bringing in Joe Allen would mean kind of losing another midfielder and I'd hope that we weren't Kind of doing a Ryan Bennett really, and and making a a, a player in thirties um, one of our top earners. Uh, when when as one of you pointed out, there you know there's very little sell on value. We've had a lot of success over the last few years buying young players um, and developing them into um, well this season specifically then. But um, buying young players and developing them into very good players who we could sell on for a big profit, I think that's the the main strategy we need to use. There may be room for a Joe, for one Joe Allen in that in that system, but it should we shouldn't be making too many signings like that, is what I would say. But it it's a really interesting one. It has a lot of sentimental value and obviously, you know, that it makes footballing sense on on many levels as well. I just want to wait and see kind of in what context we're buying him first. That's my reaction. I don't know, Steve, if you've got any kind of anything to add to that or any other kind of opinions? Well, I, honest, just... I am
2: thinking in, in the same way. I mean, I, I'm treating it as he's coming in. It'll be, you know, we're not going to make him necessarily one of the top earners. The, the fact is, I mean, look, he's been on a, a really good contract. I'd have thought at Stoke that he signed just after they got relegated. The, the landscape in football has changed since COVID outside the, the top division, really. I just think there isn't as much money there. Stoke could probably still afford to pay him more than we could, but you know, I don't think he'd be coming down here on, on a crazy contract. And, and like I said, not necessarily going to be first choice either, but the fact is, I mean, I hope Grimes has played every minute of every game this season. We can't necessarily expect that all the time, and the same with Downs. And I mean, like I said, he's better than Smith. Is he better than Fulton? I would say so, yes. So... But for me, I, I think, as you say, we we have got other priorities, and they w- should remain the bigger priority. So we we don't want to go blowing the budget on this deal necessarily. And and I also do agree that you know bringing in up and coming players that you could sell on for resale value in general, that is the way to go. But there is always room for the odd exception. I think that it's always good to have some experience. And you think someone like Bennett now is in new he's going to be going. I mean, Norton has has been offered a new deal, isn't he? And I'm sure nobody's disagreeing with that. So, you know, I, I think there's always, there. it's always good to have a bit of a blend, isn't it? And I think Joe Allen would would be a good one in, in that sense. I mean, I, like I say, it's, it's you just don't want to go over the top with it, that's all. But I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of ex-players come back here, haven't we? And, you know, I, I think we've criticised a lot of the deals, but I mean, realistically, this one, it's on a free As long as the wages are reasonable, it's pretty low risk, really, isn't it? And, as we've said he, he suits us so i think this is one where it would make sense to bring him uh, an ex-player back whereas a lot of the other ones the alarm bells should have been ringing that it wasn't necessarily a good deal for the club and most of the ones that we have brought back in recent years they've they've not really worked they, but they can work in other circumstances i mean the On britain coming back was an inspired move for example wasn't it um so you know you've got to judge every deal i think on its merits and i think you know, in the right circumstances, there's there's certainly a lot of positives to uh, bringing Joe Allen back to the Swans, I think. I think statistically as
1: well, I think, he, to be fair to him, he's still posting good numbers. I think he's one of the highest number of interceptions in the Championship this season as well. I think that was posted uh, a couple of days ago. So to me, it all boils down to not whether Joe Allen necessarily um, is good enough, but it's whether that big stumbling block for me is the money. Is is he is on massive wages and he would need to just uh, almost just say to Russell Martin, look, I'd, the money isn't the issue. Here. Can I can I can I come home? <laughs> it's, it's, would have to be the, the nature of the conversation, you know. Um, and if if the answer is yes, then then as Steve said, is he a better option than Coley Smith and Jay Fulton? Yes. Yeah. Um, and 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 I'm sure Swans fans obviously will welcome him back with open arms. But as long as it works for the club financially and we don't put him in our top top earners then then, then, let's then, let's do it. But,, uh, as you say, Gito, we wait and see what what sort of mentality As Martin is because you know we 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 we're hoping he's just uh, an option that is that is available that we're keeping an eye on and keeping tabs on and talking to the player about rather than all eggs in that basket. That's all,
0: yeah, definitely. that's a good way to put there. and and, you know, let's face it, if Joe Allen was to come back to the club, I think we'd all be very excited. He's still a good player, and you know, he embodies just this the the way that we do want to see the of, of football played and um you know it's um yeah i, th- I think that, steve that like you said we've had a lot of um ex-players come back and there are some players there are some fans who would say oh you never you should never go back and like you said we went back for leon and it worked out very well we went back for gilfie singleton and it worked out very well um so you know it's it's not that necessarily going back for the same players is a bad thing but we have made bad ones in the past I don't think Joe Allen would fit into that category I think he would be um, a good addition to the squad if he was to come back it's not kind of another injury prone Wilfred Boney or you know Andre Ayew on a, a crippling uh, wage it's um,
2: it, it would yeah, be like you say, you've just got to judge John merits, don't only like you mentioned uh, Sigurdsson there for example and the fact is, because he failed at Spurs, you're thinking, well, that doesn't mean he'd be a bad signing for us. A, the question boils down to quite often, like when Boney was at Stoke and Berahino and Crouch were keeping him out of the team, there should have been massive alarm bells ringing that this guy maybe isn't that good anymore. And the fact is, they weren't there. So I think that's the the concerns that there's, there's been, isn't there, with a lot of the ex-players. But I mean, it can work. I mean, the, the previous generations will tell you that Alan Curtis had three spells, yep. particularly the second one was obviously when we are in the first division and, and that was brilliant. So, you know, it's this thing of never going back, I think is a lot of that is crap.
0: Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. Well, um, Joe Allen uh, hopefully won't be the only incoming if he does arrive here. Uh, and uh, there's been a bit of a change behind the scenes in terms of who is going to be doing the scouting and who's going to be in charge of our recruitment because um, quite surprisingly, Steve, uh, Mark Allen, um, has departed the club um, which came out the blue really a couple of weeks back and um, was quite a shock to a lot of people because it seemed from the outside anyway as though um, he was going to be a big player in the summer to come I mean I think we were all shocked weren't we
2: yeah I mean there's something's gone on there isn't it I mean I was at the fans forum in Portal but the other week and You know, him and Russell Martin were there. They were were giving us, you know, they were discussing various things at a presentation, and you know, it was was quite impressive. And they were, you could tell, they they seemed to have a real plan about what was going to happen over the summer. And you know, less than two weeks later, you know, Mark Allen has gone, and it's, it is a shock. I mean, you you wonder was, you know, was something happened in terms of has he been tapped up by somebody, or, you know, um, maybe they're they're unhappy with some of the deals that we've done. I mean, you look at. Ogbetter and Burns for example they're both of Man City links which is where Mark Ireland has worked before and you'd have to say maybe they haven't worked and maybe they're just not happy with his his performance in the job and have looked at it and thought right well if we're not happy with some of the players that have come in here then they they don't trust him to to do the job in the summer we're we're speculating aren't we 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 don't know is the honest answer but but it was a certainly a a surprise wasn't it and timing not really ideal just before the summer and uh, you know hopefully well it doesn't derail any of our, our plans really because obviously it is going to be another big summer for us
0: yeah and um Matt one of the names that's um, just today been linked with uh, with the job uh, on Twitter, um, I don't know how credible this link is yet, but it's an interesting name. Uh, Rob Scott at Rotherham. Um, it would be the first Scott to hold uh, this position at the club because he's the brother of Andy Scott um, uh, who worked very closely with Steve Cooper during his time year. Um, what were your kind of initial thoughts um, when you heard that name mentioned?
1: Well, it's a small world, isn't it? We we, we shipped someone out a couple of months ago and uh, then come the summer, we're looking at his brother. So um, I'm not sure what sort of reference Sandy Scott will give the swans to his brother, but uh, I think the whole situation is a little bit odd, isn't it? I mean, Julian with Winter can tell me all day and night that this is all part of a strategic rebuild and whatnot. But from my point of view, um, there's more to it there's got to be more to it that we we ripped up our recruitment strategy to put Mark Allen in charge of it you know only a few months ago and um and like Steve said go into fan presentations and talking about the recruitment strategy so for the club to turn around and uh, you know put him on gardening leave just a week or so after that feels very much like there's been an incident or a revelation or some sort of in, something's happened, I think, that has caused this to. I can only, you know, speculate. And uh, um, as 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 someone who doesn't know what's happened, but you, I mean, I can't buy the fact that this is just all part of, you know, what's going on. I think maybe I don't know. Maybe there's something else going on. We probably will never find out about. But uh, the way these things work these days with contracts and whatnot, and <laughs> and NDAs and stuff, but. From from my point of view, there's there's something going on, and, and we'll see what the how the dust settles because um, I guess football is a little bit of a, a smaller world behind the scenes, and and people do talk, and people do um, know what's going on behind the scenes at certain clubs and stuff, and and ex employees will speak, so I'm sure that um, if there's any uh, doubts in. Uh, rob is it rob scott is that his name yeah, rob, rob scott. scott's mind then we will we'll find out when that um that link falls flat on his face but uh, yeah he said uh it looks like he's had a good uh, good spell at rotherham and been involved in some important signings and in fact worked at brentford um some time ago involved in some of their big signings as well the ones that we have they've now shipped off for 15 20 million a piece you know so from that point of view, uh, it certainly looks like something not to be sniffed at. And um, we were all maybe secretly hoping that we'd nick the uh, MK Dons sporting director, <laughs> weren't we? Just to rub salt in the wound. And we know the link there with Russell Martin.
2: Well, until the position's filled, never rule it out. obviously Liam Sweeten. Yeah. Don't forget, obviously, MK Dons are not going up now either. So no. the chances of uh, changes there are probably higher now that uh, you know we know we'll be in a higher division than them. So we'll see. Yeah, if there's, if there's one
0: club where you want to rub salt in wounds after a playoff <laughs> defeat, it's the MK Dons, isn't it? Let's
2: face it. Well, the thing is, you can steal no matter uh, anything from MK Dons, and you can just turn around and say, you stole a football club. <laughs> so literally, it doesn't matter what you do, you can get away with anything.
0: It's true.
1: You'll always have the moral high ground over a club that's stole other places' football club. There'll be players available there. So I think the main one, like Scott Twine, whatever, I think he would be out of our, pay- out of our- of uh pay options but um a budget but then I mean, we know harry Russell martin's Darling. a big fan of harry Darling and we were talking at length about a lack of height at center half and a lack of uh imposing footballers at center half as well yeah, we're, we're bound
2: to get linked to you know a few of those guys aren't he we that's, uh, that's fairly obvious
0: i think we're yeah. going to be linked with half the mk don squad and um, sure, so yes. Um, I think any any MK Dons players we are linked to. Um, I think we should take it with a pinch of salt, really, shouldn't we, um, for the time being until there's uh, kind of credible links. But mm. there we go. The summer has started. Uh, we can look forward to a lot of transfer uh, rumours in, in the weeks to come um just please remember don't overreact to any one rumor wait until it's credible we can, it's it's tedious enough as it is anyway sorry for uh the extra long podcast but we had a lot to catch up on hopefully you enjoyed it as much as we did uh tune in soon when we will be uh, looking back at the season as a whole and looking forward to the transfer window and asking who exactly we need to improve the squad but until then thank you very much for listening <laughs>